Hi there. If you are willing and able, please consider going to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. We talk about this all the time, but I cannot underline enough how much of a difference it makes for us. That is a way for you to support not just this show, but the entire network of shows that we do. Once again, that is patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. This is Gary Butterfield. This is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a Games Club podcast. Yep. And this week we are reading your responses to the games we have covered here in this month of April. Bioshock 2, Minerva's Den, and Ultima Underworld. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, thanks everybody for writing in. Uh, as a reminder, the deadline is always the 15th um, for, uh, for those things. So the 15th of the month, the episodes come out. Yes. Uh, so if you have things to say about our May games or our June games, those are May 15th and June 15th, respectively, uh, so on and so on, time immemorial. <laughs> in, uh, in perpetuity throughout the universe. Yes. Um, yeah. So I'll go ahead and, uh, and get us started here um, with uh, your – we have your responses on Bioshock 2 and Minerva's Den. And uh, Fletcher, our buddy Fletcher, says, via contact. As one of the only two games I put up with Games for Window Live's bullshit for, Bioshock 2 plus Minerva's Den was the only one that was worth it. Eat my dick, Batman. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Coming out strong in Cape Crusader, but sorry. Um, I feel like it never got enough credit for how it tried to improve on its predecessor without falling into the trap of cloning the original with a few bug fixes and uh, doing a whole other narrative structure. Especially of note was that this was one of the few single-player titles where the corporately mandated multiplayer was pretty fun. Setting up traps and plasmid combos to wreck other humans was a hell of a ride, and it made you realize just how much depth was in the system, which the single player never forced you to rely on, because it wasn't bullshit hard. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think you get a little bit of that through the protector trials, like where you do have to um, you know, use unusual combinations and uh, you know, really, really work it to yeah. get through those later ones. Yeah, where it's, uh, where it's mandated onto you. And I only did a few of those, but because it has like kind of a scoring system, there are degrees of success. Mm. Um, you know, you can really, really do it all. Like you can, you can really push and stretch yourself with those. I think that's probably the idea, but I don't think anybody really played the protector trials either. Yeah. No. Uh, you, you don't hear about it. It never comes up as something of note. Yeah. 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 And I was bummed that the multiplayer was not active for when for when we did it because i want definitely wanted to check that out yeah i mean so. we mentioned it during the episode but there's story content in that yeah and i want them nuggets yeah so give me give, give me them nugs them rapture nugs indeed yeah uh yeah. Stuart writes via contact saying i was a bit disappointed by this replay of bioshock 2 it was neat experimenting with tonic loadouts but i was underwhelmed by the trap setting and little sister protecting um, I would set up a clever ish, ish is in 
parentheses there. I would set up a cleverish array of traps at all sides of an area, but after the fight, many would be untriggered because enemies spawned at locations inside of the combat arena instead of having to enter through the clear pathways. My tactic became just loading all the traps around the little sister, which felt less like planning and more like busy work. There's some there's something to that where like I think that the circle is a little bit smaller than than you think yeah. uh, it would be. The nice thing is that almost all the traps you can reuse. So you know if you look at the space, you're looking at like a, a spot, and there's a little bit of uh, checking avenues of approach, especially the ones uh, that have hallways mm-hmm. as opposed to a big open area. I think about in uh, that kind of frozen that walk-in freezer. You yeah, can, you can do things like that. Like that has very directed like avenues of approach. Mm-hmm. that you can you can guard against um it doesn't mean enemies can't spawn through vents and stuff behind that but they for the most part they'll funnel through yeah. there but um yeah learning to kind of tighten that circle is yeah. is a thing but yeah. i that never really bothered me yeah for, uh, that much for me my instinct was always to set the traps at the doorways or entranceways as opposed to setting up like a run for them yeah right and sometimes they can spawn again. They can spawn in through vents, like within those things, from time yeah, to time. So yeah. I think the idea there too is just to make it so you also have to fight. Yeah. Um. You know, so it'd be kind of chaotic. This uh, the really I think I talked about it during the episode. It's been a little while since we recorded it, but the um that kind of mix is is part of why I like. I can understand if it doesn't work for everybody, but when I got the um the turn invisible when you stand still mm-hmm. tonic, so I would just be hunched over, you know, little sister surrounded by trap rivets and then have my traps kind of in the zone around me to kind of thin out what got to me and then being able to just kind of spring from invisibility to to melee things that got close yeah um that combination worked really really well for me it's not super deep it's not its own game Mm -hmm. you know it's not it's not like a tower defense separate thing but it's a I, I found it consistently pretty irritating. I understand yeah. how it could be disappointing when it feels like the enemy is breaking the rules, though. Yeah, and I wonder I wonder if when Stuart talks about, like, oh, experimenting with tonic loadouts, maybe there was a tonic loadout combination that implied that trapping would become a little bit more versatile than it actually ends up being. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you. Um, moving on to Ben. Ben says, by contact. I remember Bio- Bioshock as being somewhat ham-handed in its moral choice. Save or murder little girls? Not too interesting of a question, and it doesn't really comment on what makes the moral choice difficult. The context of a choice is everything. It's been a while since I played it, but I remember Bioshock 2 doing exactly that by ramping up the difficulty of the choice in ending someone's life. First, it's clearly wrong to kill when given the choice. Then, it gets a little fuzzier uh, when we get a much more unlikable person. Finally, we get to Dr. Gilbert Alexander, and I remember being impressed by how the game... had been leading me to challenge the idea of being the all-loving, all-saving video game hero. I agonized over the choice for at least 10 minutes. It was a great build-up and execution of the notion of moral ambiguity and the moment I liked best in the whole game. And the savior achievement throws all of that right in the garbage. So close, Bioshock 2. So close. <laughs> um, the savior achievement is is you know saving everybody right, in the game. Right. I think it's specifically referring to the fact that you... You know, that that there is a specific way that you're supposed to, mer- you know, you're not supposed to mercy kill Alexander. Right. Um, yeah, which, yeah. We, which we, we talked about a little bit in the episode. I, I don't consider achievements to be any kind of canon or, or really anything, though. No. You know, like, I don't think that they comment on the work um, itself. Like, it's a, at some point, like, I mean, we, like, I've talked about it plenty on, on when it pops up in, in things. But, mm-hmm. like, 
it'd be cool to do. I mean, where we don't do this, right? But like, <laughs> it'd be a good like bonus level to have a roundtable on achievements because they are really interesting as a as a different you know like sitting down and trying to like do the taxonomy of what they can try to accomplish. Yeah, is actually really interesting, and there are wildly like there's a huge swing in the the kind of the worthwhileness of those things they can accomplish and it's it's all subjective of course but like there are just things like there's neat things you can do with them even within this game like we talked about that irony achievement which is just like you know reward a player who does something kind of clever like that's one thing they can do but they can also imply this kind of thing which i think is actually harmful like i think an achievement that like tells somebody the right way to to play a game like that's that's kind of shit and that's like a poorly designed achievement yeah it's like the it's like this little text box kind of just cramering into your perception of the game and like bumping the other parts of the text out of the way like you can and, you know you can, you can rationalize it away you know after the fact right like you can say like oh yeah this doesn't come on or anything that initial little flash of like oh you're the savior for doing this like you're you're never going to not feel that <laughs> yeah. when it when you know you're, you're you're not going to unfeel it if it made you feel kind of shitty uh for making a choice or not making that choice right I, I really wish you could just turn turn them off turn notifications off and just have it be an opt-in thing yeah because i just i feel like a lot of them are bad mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so i mean that, that that's kind of where 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 i land on it but it, they're interesting because they can do a lot of different things and here's a really good example of, of what i think is a harmful achievement yeah like pronouncing this moral judgment that the game doesn't do. Like one of the things Bioshock two is an advancement over the first one is that it's not all or nothing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so like the, it, it makes a kind of sense to add an achievement for going all in one direction or the other one, just because you, you kind of expect there to be one. Yeah. But it, it feels like contrary and to the side of the actual work itself. It doesn't feel like it's part of the text. No, no, especially yeah. because it is so, it is so binary when that middle ground is such a gradient. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a it's it's a bad achievement, and it sucks that it took that amb- ambiguous moment and uh, you know locked it in. Yep. Blah. Yep. Yep. I also thought it was kind of bullshit that <laughs> I I just I strongly disagree with the game's logic that not mercy killing uh Gil Alexander. Uh, is, yeah, yeah, uh, I is, I disagree yeah. with that too. That's that's yeah. a whole other issue, and it, it, we spilled a bunch of words about that. But yeah, I, I agree that that's that's silly. Yeah, that almost feels like a, a misset flag <laughs> in the game. Yeah, you know, that that feels like a rounding error to me. Yeah. Um, Luke writes via contact when you talked about the core gameplay loop of Bioshock Two and how games which play that way are quite rare. Something that occurred to me was that there are actually a lot of games which play like that, but they are all multiplayer focused. Really good horde modes in games like Gears of War, Mass Effect, and Splatoon 2 are some of my favorite experiences. I just wish more single-player, story-driven games could deliver that same feeling. Is there anything else out there that fits the bill? Yeah, the the um, <clears throat> the closest thing I can think of is, uh, and I, I was just reminded of this for, for reasons, um, is like Orcs Must Die and Orcs Must Die 2, uh-huh. which are like third person action tower defense hybrids that are all about setting up your, your kill gauntlets and the, and the like, mm-hmm. and just defending against waves. And it's a single player. And when it's multiplayer, it's cooperative, uh, asymmetrical cooperative, right? Um, uh, you know, two different players with very, you know, with very different abilities, uh, doing that. That's the closest thing I can think of that is a single player focused or single player capable version of, of that. Yeah. And I'm trying to think like, for some reason, something is coming up in uh, to my mind about Metal Gear Solid Five, but I can't. 
I can't actually name oh. a specific thing that happens there. Yeah, kinda. Like when you set up the you set up your base. Yeah, something like that. But that you, but that is can... specifically of the multiplayer mode in that. Yeah, and you and you can participate that you're also kinda not supposed to, and that the game is so kind of maximal in, in in how it achieves things. Like I didn't want to hang around my base. Right, right. You know, I wanted to go do missions and stuff. Like yeah. the multiplayer in that game I always thought seemed neat, and then one the more I learned about it, the less I liked it. Yeah. 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 Yep. So I don't know. I don't know that I can that I can direct you toward toward something like honestly, there may be like defend the base missions and like open world games that I haven't played. Just anything anything that would anything that would have come out in the past like eight years that would have incorporated incorporated stuff after Gears added its horde mode. Right. It'd be like it'd be like a mission as part of a larger tableau, though. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't be its own bespoke kind of thing. So, yeah, I would I would be interested to learn about more. And us saying that we can't think of more definitely doesn't mean there aren't. No, no. It just means we don't draw from that well where that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Hey, thanks, Luke. Thank you. Cool. What, what what is urn brew? What is it? What does he mean by this? Iron brew? I don't know. It is it is some kind of it is some kind of soft drink. I had to look this up. Uh, iron brew is often described as Scotland's other national drink. I think maybe you may have said something about iron brew in the past. Oh, I, I definitely did. I've never seen this word before in my oh, life. Okay. <laughs> um yeah no i don't remember this okay i just wanted to make sure i wanted to see if there is context for it but i'm going to talk about how i don't have the context because i don't no we're, 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 we're leaving this in because it's funny oh okay yeah okay <laughs> that's, that's fine I, yeah it wasn't i just wasn't sure so yeah marcus mentioned this uh this odd soft drink here yeah. and I'll, I'll get to it here marcus of iconic M- says macarius i think oh marcarius yeah shit man yeah macarius I, I i'm we're leaving that in too let's it's all going in buddy. <laughs> it's we're getting a stew what's in the show is um, in the show yeah yeah sorry about that marcarius uh, marcarius says via contact hey gary hey cole longtime listener first time contactor unless you count on ragging on gary for never drinking urn brew um that, that was probably on twitter if i had Maybe. to guess and i i just i've never had it before because i've never i don't i don't remember this and i hope please don't be offended like if it's an unusual soft drink i would love yeah to try it yeah like uh, give me that urn brew put it in my veins i'm l- looking at the ingredients right now and it sounds uh you know carbonated water sugar citric acid and flavorings sign me up <laughs> i love I, things with flavorings I, all that i can think of is maybe like at some point after we went to after we went to jungle gyms and like got like i got some weird some weird sodas you saw iron brew yeah maybe and, and when then and then when it was like god Damn it, Scotland! <laughs> What's up with these sodas? For, for, just... for people who don't know what what, what we're saying, it's I R N dash B R U, like Iron Brew. But I'm saying yeah. Iron Brew like a you know like a like an accent. I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I would be down for that. So if yeah. I if I said anything bad about it, uh, I'm no longer that person. <laughs> that, that person, hey baby, I've changed. Yeah. Um. Now I am down for that unusual soda. Mm um yeah so uh marcarius goes on and then what a what a baller name marcarius is that's yeah. awesome like uh, that is a, that is it's a good it's, name. it's not their it's not their first name it is a it is a username macarius yeah uh, still still very cool though yeah it sounds, it sounds very dramatic macarius um firstly i adored bioshock one and infinite and totally skipped past two on release in fact it was only your announcement that you'd cover two on the show that sparked me to finally play through the middle child Bioshock 2 felt retrofitted onto the series in a way that was totally understandable, but not entirely satisfactory. I don't blame the developers for the task of trying to create new scenarios and characters to add to this fictional world, but the complexity of the storylines didn't feel as natural as the original. I don't really want to call this a criticism, though, as I think it's an astonishingly astonishingly difficult task to add these threads of storyline to an already completed work. As you touched on with your episode of WAF, Bioshock 2 adds to the lore and the spectacle of Rapture in a magnificent way. 
In some ways, the cityscape feels more complete, having seen the designs and locales of the sequel. For me personally, it's a shame this story couldn't be better entwined with the environment. Anyways, thanks for covering the game and giving me an excuse to go back and experience one of my favorite examples of video game world building. I really, really, really hope you guys cover Thief, Dark, The Dark Project, and Metal Age games. As for uh, as extensive as your coverage has been in terms of older games and multiple genres, these two are the only gems. Of the, these two are the only gems of the crown. I would love to hear you guys talk about. Um, yeah, we I, we got another Thief game in us. We'll do Thief two at some point. Yeah, yeah. Like that game is too important to, to kind of gaming and, and everything to not do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it'll it'll be a while, but it's been a while since we did Thief, you know, Thief. So yes. we'll we'll do Thief two at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would it's... I would choose that one over the first one, which the first one's much more like mazy. Yes, and that, that's kind of the bummer. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's it's gonna, it's gonna be one or the other. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I think two is probably the one that feels modern enough to to not just complain about the level design. Mm-hmm. So like I haven't beat either of those games. I've dipped my toe in both of them, uh, and I liked two a lot more. Yeah. So that's the other thing too. Yeah. Um, the, the, this, this comports a little bit. I, you know, I found the story pretty satisfying just because they went much smaller scale, but I do think that, you know, Rapture does feel better and the events of Bioshock one feel a little bit more significant knowing the events of Bioshock two. Right. Like this, yeah. the, the, this in, in a lot of ways enhances the first one. I think so too. I think that that's not necessarily what Mercurius. I think Mercurius is kind of saying the opposite that like they're not mm. integrated enough. I would be curious um, what Mercurius thinks about the um, the infinite DLCs that that integrate that because like yeah. I know that worked for a lot of people, but it didn't work for me mm. uh, very well. Like I don't uh, I don't actually like those very much. Okay, I want an excuse to replay them, but like I don't remember thinking they were they were particularly good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I mean, I, I've said nice things about them. That is very much in relation to the main game, though. Yeah, I, I think they're an improvement. Like, I'd rather be in Rapture than Columbia. Right. I think it's more interesting to have a story that is, uh, you know, a little bit that, that doesn't do that, that bait and set up an interesting story to tell mm-hmm. another interesting story that doesn't actually totally get completed. Right. You know, which is kind of the the infinite thing. But the the way that those fit into Bioshock 1, where those are like, oh, you know, all these things that happened, like you actually did it, you mm-hmm. know, uh, like book, you know, the 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 fact that uh, the 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 secret weapon that uh, I can't remember the name of the main character, Jack, mm-hmm. in the uh, in the first Bioshock was actually activated because of, yeah. you know, the, the the actions of the player in the second Bioshock Infinite DLC, that kind of like kind of clever, clever you know, Ouroboros stuff like sometimes works for me, but yeah, yeah. You know, the, the game had like spoiled a lot of goodwill, just kind of not doing that at all in infinite mm-hmm. for the, me. That didn't feel like it rounded up. The, the, the end of back to the future two is perched on a very precarious precipice. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if you, if you extend too far beyond that, things start, uh, things start, uh, uh crumbling, crumbling yeah. and tumbling. Yeah. You have to be at least Zemeckis level <laughs> to, to do that kind of thing. Right. Um, so yeah, and, and I owe those another replay mm-hmm. as well. Like I, now that I'm on, I'm hip deep in Bioshock. Like I am, I would like to try those again and see if, if I feel any kinder towards them or just yeah. kind of also just to drink in some more rapture. Yeah. You know, so that, yeah. that's kind of on my, on my relatively short list of, of things to replay. So, um, follow that, yeah, follow that it, momentum all the way around. Yeah. 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 And just, and just squeeze through, through Bioshock. I'm just, every time I imagine Bioshock, I'm in like a, an old timey boardwalk, just emptying unending bullets into a George Washington. <laughs> like it just, it just keeps going and going and going and he just won't stop. And I'm just like, and it's so tedious. Mm. Like, 
Just Four like, score and seven die. clips ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just never die. Yeah. Then a handyman pops out, and you just kind of like, you know, man, yeah. pour things into it. Then though, like I was thinking about the, those handyman as well, like as a thing, and it's almost the fact that they have that weak point almost makes them cool. But God help you if you can ever like mm-hmm. the action in those games is not made for precision. Yeah, you know that would be super cool in Resident Evil Four. Yeah, you know, but it's not super cool in in the Bioshock engine where like. You know, you, you really have to aim for center mass mm-hmm. and that thing. We talked about that in the Bioshock 2 episode, bring it back, where, like, neither of us really like the spear gun because it's a sniper rifle. Right. And that's and just sniping, not it's just not the, the pace of that game. No, not at all. And, you know, also, it's not the it's not that environment. And for as open as the sky is in Colombia, the environments are not not really designed to be as, you know, open as you would think outside of some of those big sprawling arenas with the uh, with the zip lines or whatever. Yeah. 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 You you never you never see enemies from far away before you're engaged with them. Right. Like it's always, you know, the the, the game in a weird way it was one of the early like the, you know, I, I've complained about this before, like super modal uh modern action games where it's like you just mm-hmm. enter an area and you're like, Oh, I'm in an arena now. Yeah. Like I, I know oh, there there's a here's a loop de loop sky hook that would have no necessarily like a function to the the game world mm-hmm. but i know it's combat function and i know oh there's some places where an enemy will pop out you know like and you're just like okay it's time for combat yeah. and you just know it's going to happen like it's it's extremely modal it's not like you can there's no there's no immersive sim nature to it uh where you can like see an enemy from far away because they would be there and mm-hmm. actually kind of like plan your assault yeah it's more like i'm in a combat zone now yeah not to continue the Bioshock 2 derail a lot, but just I noticed this because this always seems to happen whenever we cover a game for a show, like something related to it pops up in the news. Did you see like all those features about the Bioshock that the Bioshock Infinite that almost was? I've seen those before. I don't I haven't seen anything new that popped out, but yeah, people have been yeah. doing kind of YouTubes of those for a long time because um, there's like tons of pre-release footage. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and like, like... Ma- ma- magazine features and stuff. There was the, there was a recent one that was like a cover feature on Polygon, I think. And just like I I desperately want that version of that game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But... The um, it, everything that I've seen does look really cool. Yeah. From the original version. And it just it all comports with with what, you know, we understand, which is just that like. Ken Levine, like, oh, look, a blue car, you know, and just and rewrote the game based on every new idea that popped up. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, Benedict writes via contact saying, it seems like everyone who plays this game, Bioshock 2, comes out the other side wondering why it isn't talked about more often. It got some flack for not trying to include any plot twist moments, but the second whoopee cushion under the seat is never as funny as the first. And I think it was smart to get away from that and, and instead focus on making a more engaging, lived-in rapture come to life. Besides that, the little sister level is more impactful for me than Bioshock's big moments, which in hindsight were often just cutscenes. It's one of my favorite levels and has the rare good sense not to let any real challenge get in the way of of taking in the story and atmosphere. Being able to walk around and interact with the revelatory story aspect, seeing an opulent yet twisted rapture through the eyes of the deranged little sisters, felt more quietly powerful than a shocking cutscene. Let me touch your shit, Bioshock. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I agreed. Like, it it is out of the this lineage, it is the, even out of Minerva's M, which we both love, like, it's the least twisty Mm -hmm. of the Bioshocks. Um, and that's something, you know, since like System Shock has been a like part of that series. Yes. You know, um, but yeah, you know, this is it, it just not meant to be as such. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it reminds me of like um, it makes me we, we talked about this with Minerva's Den a little bit, but like 
it used to be in the 90s with PC games, you could have like an expansion kind of thing that was straight up marketed as an expansion. Yeah. You know, and and it would be it would set that kind of context where this is not going to be a sea change. It is just going to be the same world, but more so. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's there's space for that. Like, I like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, know, the, that, the, the distinction between an expansion and content. Yeah. Right? Like when it becomes content, it becomes a little bit more a little bit a little bit trickier. Yeah, it's got it's got its own you know uh, uh, ERSB, ERSB rating and its own kind of like a, a skew code and stuff like that. So it has to become oh this is a game you know yeah. expect the new shock game that's going to have this new twist, <laughs> new world, all this stuff. Right. But you know there's something to that um, you know that that kind of old PC expansion you know like Blue Shift. You know, and yeah. we you know back when Blue Shift came out, we didn't complain about Blue Shift. We were into Blue Shift. Yeah, I complained about Blue Shift because uh, because Opposing Force was better. <laughs> but... Yeah, Blue Shift is not not particularly. I mean, Blue Shift has some some charm. Yeah. Oh, Blue. Yeah, I mean, playing as Barney is great. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, it's just that that kind of like Rosencrantz and Guildensterning uh-huh. that happened with those uh, Half Life One expansions are kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did they ever release uh, Half Life or Half Life Decay? Half Life Three. Yeah. No, well, no, 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 I wasn't doing that. <laughs> yeah. No, Decay. That was the uh, like the the weird little expansion that was a co-op expansion that was built into the PS2 version. Weirdly enough, um, I don't think they released. Do you mean you say released it? Do you mean like outside of that? Right. I say, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think you can still play it because all of the Half Life Two for PS2 like stuff is around, uh-huh. or Half Life for PS2 stuff is around, mm-hmm. um, in ISO form. But I don't think they released it. No. Um, officially, like I've watched a couple, like um, like you know, cover coverage YouTube dealies mm-hmm. about um the Half Life expansions. Yeah. To kind of revisit them. Because like I I've got some affection for those and I wanted to get the the, the methadone version yeah, of yeah. replaying them. Like I didn't have time to replay them, but I just wanted to revisit them in my head. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. No, that was that that was apropos of nothing. I was just curious if you know. No, no, it's it's, yeah. it's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. Moving on to uh Gabriel. Uh Gabriel says via contact. Uh, I think it's a shame that this game seems to have been forgotten by gaming as a whole, but I know why. The first game introduced us to so much amazing stuff. The reveal of Rapture at the beginning was one of the greatest moments in gaming, in my opinion, and the twist near the end blew the collective minds of most players. So when the second game came around, it had some huge shoes to fill. And while I say uh, that it did, I think nearly every aspect of Bioshock 2 Bioshock 2 was superior to the first, the combat, the level design, the power-up system. The fact that it was covering familiar ground meant that it couldn't have had the same impact that the first game did, even if each individual part was better. It's a shame because playing as a big daddy is pretty freaking awesome. Also, you may have covered this in the episode, but I want to address one common misconception. A lot of people criticized the protagonist in Bioshock 2 because they said it made no sense for the prototype Big Daddy to be more capable than the actual Big Daddy. While that makes sense uh, for a machine or robot or whatever, you have to remember that Big Daddies were humans who were altered to make them more robot-like. Therefore, when you have a prototype Big Daddy, it's going to be less machine and more human. It's going to have more agency. And in this case, it's still, still able to use plasmids and heal itself and whatnot. So the idea of a prototype being less capable than a finished product is only accurate if you have a fundamental misunderstanding of what a Big Daddy is. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Mm-hmm. You know, as a thing. Also, like, you, you think about what these things are supposed to be, um, what their purpose is in the world uh versus what the player uses them for yeah they're probably so like, like there's yeah, well and also you like you could if you design a big daddy to protect like a little sister that's a different you know that that's a slightly different kind of verb set than what the player does in the game so 
their their cross purpose skills. Mm-hmm. Like you might not want a per like this thing to be quite as effective a killing machine if it just has to protect the little sister. Yeah. You yeah. know, from from like junked up. I mean, they they weren't even designed to protect them from like splicers. Right. You know, splicers are are uh, like co-evolved with it. They were just supposed to be like, you know, thugs. Like people came up and maybe the idea wasn't for them to like literally drill in their head. You know, <laughs> it was just to, to scare them or knock them away. The yeah. same way that they do when you get like too close to them, mm-hmm. you know, and they just kind of like punch you away. Like they, they, they don't have to be perfect killing machines. Right. And in yeah. fact, you know, the, the, the non, the non alpha big daddies, you know, might be a little bit weaker because they need to be easier to control. Like they, yes. you know, <laughs> like if something is way too effective um, and way too autonomous, well, what you do is you sand off those edges until they can, you know, effectively become a part of the infrastructure of the city. Right. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that that's, you, you make a good point, Gabriel, but also like it is a silly thing to think like oh, <laughs> a prototype needs to be worse because they're it's just whether how close it is to the intention of design, not whether yeah. it's just like better or worse as far as like just power levels go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw people like complaining about that, saying like it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense. And that complaint itself never made very much sense to me. So I'm happy that Gabriel wrote in with a good with a good defense of that because I wouldn't yeah. have thought to bring it up. Yeah. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Francis writes via contact. I never played Bioshock before playing Bioshock 2. I was 15 when Bioshock 2 came out, meaning the first one passed me by, although I'd pieced together the opening and Andrew Ryan climax from Wikipedia and YouTube uploads. I opened the game and played through the first 30 minutes, and it stressed me the fuck out. Eventually, I picked it up again months down the line and finished it. After thoroughly enjoying it, I tried to go back to Bioshock. Um, I was surprised that I couldn't. I got a few levels in and grew disinterested in stressing myself out. It's nearly a decade later, and I've begrudgingly pushed through Infinite and replayed Bioshock 2 on hard for kicks, but never felt tempted to revisit the first one. At my current age, all I can think of, look, all I can think of looking back is that Bioshock 2 simply made me care. Bioshock 2 is the only game in the series that I feel like has a heart. The first game may be a masterful execution of meta narrative and environmental and atmospheric storytelling, but without a character I'm invested in, well, who cares? I like Eleanor as a character much more than whatever they were trying to do with with Elizabeth, and remember that fight outside uh, Eleanor's chamber when you finally reach her more vividly than anything in Infinite. Bioshock 2's ending still feels powerful to me, helped possibly by my misunderstanding that it was the entirety of Rapture sinking into that chasm finally gone. Um, And more emotionally satisfying as an end to my experience with Rapture than the clusterfuck of empty nonsense that punctuated Infinite. Hell, I I rewatched it when I listened to the episode, and I'm still not sure how it works no matter which ending permutation you pick. When Deus Ex Human Revolution tried to write endings with three different philosophical stances, it felt cheap and like they all undercut each other's weight. But each Bioshock 2 ending, I buy emotionally as correct, and I'm still not sure why. Also, I love Gary's weirdly optimistic view of a dystopian capitalist society that wouldn't allow fire plasmas to be sold unregulated because they might be used for murder when people aren't lighting their stoves or cigarettes, when an AR-15 is only designed for killing lots of people very quickly, and regulation is a distant dream. AR-15 stands for assault rifle. Come at me. It stands for 15 times more strong than an assault rifle. Yep, convince me that I'm wrong. Yeah, I've got a table set up. 
I think, the, um, I, think I said yeah. clip earlier and I always say the wrong one too. <laughs> yeah, I don't like boy. Um, but yeah, the, uh, I don't, um, you know, it still seems like a, like it's, it's an exaggerated version of that to me, but I mean, you're right. Yeah, right? It, it is. It is. It is silly that I can buy something with the equivalent killing power. No problem. Yeah. You know, uh, and then go and do a bunch of killing right. with it the same way that splicers do in rapture. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's actually like, I, I'm kind of surprised we didn't do that. Talk about that in the episode. That seems like something that like, cause it's, it's not like it's not constantly, you know, very in the news. It's not, <laughs> right. like it's not very of the zeitgeist. Yeah. The idea of buying the bullet plasmid. I mean, and it has uh, been for, it, ha- it has been a thing in the, in the world, you know, for long enough that like we probably brushed on it back in the Bioshock one episode five years ago. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's, like, it's just how things are now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm weirdly I'm surprised I, I didn't bring this up. It makes no fucking sense for them to sell guns in this uh, in this underwater pressure coffin. <laughs> the um, they actually in the first one they talk about it I think. Oh, in the first one they talk about or well they talk about how it doesn't how they're they're, they're reinforced. Mm, okay, for for bolts or something like that. It's a little bit hand wavy, but I think there's a an audio log. Okay, about how these bullets are not just destroying, you know, <laughs> destroying everything. It's not like bullets in space, right? You know, as a thing, um, a lot of those things are explained by audio logs. And like, I, I, I listen to every audio log I find in the game, but there are probably some that I miss. So uh, some of those things that we had questions about, there probably are answers. Yeah. Yeah. In that. Um, yeah. And I, and I say, like, I, I agree that this, it does have like a stronger, more personal, emotional core, but even though I do think that like, I still love, you know, one. And I think that there are emotional moments in infinite, despite it not being good. I think infinite is the one that like one was never going to have an emotional core. It wasn't really about that infinite part of the reason why I have a problem with it is it swerves towards that and then avoids it right? You know, a little bit like it's, you know, those moments of like Elizabeth just being like, oh, like, you know, I'm a free person, like and stuff are actually really touching. Yeah. Like when she's uh-huh. when she's on the beach and like running from yeah. thing to thing like that is good. Yeah, it's like super touching. The game just decided not to be about that. Right. Which is part of the, the, the issue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely the game that leans into that the most, though. Yeah. So if that's if that's what you're looking for, this definitely does it. Um, and at some point we'll do hue and revolution on this. And boy, do I have a lot of things to say about the, the, the ending <laughs> choosing computer at the end of that, which is like not good. <laughs> so like, I like that game a lot. Yeah. And the ending of that, uh, undercuts a lot. Uh, um, yeah. So agreed there. Um, what, what a dumb way for <laughs> to end that game. Um, so, uh, Kevin says our, our final, uh, Bioshock response, Kevin says, Minerva's Den works incredibly well as a four-hour condensed version of the Bioshock formula, and because of that, it will probably be the game I reach for in the future when I want to play a Bioshock. It really does make me wish that all my favorite series had a four- to six-hour entry. The item placement and environmental storytelling are the best in the Bioshock series. It really is possible to draw a straight line from Minerva to Gone Home. The characters feel like they could be real people, and that's pretty rare for an FPS at the time. If there's one place I think the game falls short is the mechanical side. Minerva's Den enjoys a reputation as an 0451 game, but at least mechanically, I don't think it's deserved. There are a number of puzzles which only have one possible solution. The electrocuted splicer can only be moved with gravity well. Telekinesis, grenades, shooting, or anything else you can try to move, uh, or anything else you try will not move him. Later, there's a sequence where mini turrets are turned against you. There are only two solutions, blow them up or hack them. Gravity well and telekinesis won't move them, and electrocuting them won't short them out. It's really a minor criticism, and maybe even an unfair one, but that's my only problem that I have with Minerva's Den. All in all, I'm thrilled that I played it, and I love that WAP's new format allows it to get its own episode. Minerva's Den definitely deserves to be more than a footnote in, Bio- in a Bioshock 2 podcast. As far as I'm concerned, it is the best Bioshock game. 
yeah, it makes a makes a very good case for itself. Um, I think that that isn't a failing of Minerva's Den. I think that it it feels that way because of the Gone Home connection. Uh, that is a failing of Bioshock as a whole to live up to an immersive sim. It, well, it depends on yeah. The, the immersive sim like is becoming one of those like things where there's it's there's it, room to it's define like, it like roguelike. Yeah, like roguelike or RPG, right? Like. Mm. There, you know, you there's a couple things you can define about it, and there's as somebody like it, it arguably being my favorite genre, there's a lot of different things that define it, mm-hmm. um, and this is one of them that kind of like Deus Ex, like there's a lot of different solutions mm-hmm. to a puzzle. It leans into that a little bit, but I agree that it doesn't go full bore, yeah, with it. But neither does the main game of Bioshock Two, and neither does Bioshock One, and Infinite sure as fuck doesn't, <laughs> um, even at all. Like Bio, Bio Infinite is the least oh four or five one of these. The the way that um, Minerva's done like exceeds at this though is that the or like really uh uh prevails is that is the the environments like the the immersive part of it where it Mm -hmm. or the sim part of it rather where it is like you're in an actual space and these spaces make sense and that's the thing that you know that gone home took and stripped away the the kind of the you know the combat and stuff there are mechanics in gone home but like stripped away that stuff to make just that part that they were most interested in which is the the sense of place, the sense of realness, like the space making sense mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, like the biggest difference to me, like in in you know, there there's like there are immersive sim elements in say like you know Duke Nukem 3D as well. Yeah. You know, I, you'd never call it an immersive sim, but it has a little bit of this. Yeah. Like this is a placeness to it. Um, so like I think that that's the of the different pillars that make up an 0451. Like that's the thing that the Gone Home and Minerva's Den leans into. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, but I, I agree that it doesn't go full full bore into it. It's right. not, you know, on, on the spectrum, like mm-hmm. with Deus Ex at one end, <laughs> you know, and then like sl- slightly before that Ultima Underworld, segue, mm-hmm. segue, and then, you know, putting Bioshock and, and Bioshock 2 and stuff somewhere in the middle. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. especially if somebody came directly into this from from another Shock game, right? Yeah, that they, uh, exactly. It's, it's less of an immersive sim than System Shock 2 is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so there, there's, there's definitely a continuum there. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's one other small piece of uh, feedback that I got from a couple of people. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, in the Minerva's Den episode, we mispronounced the name of one of the developers. So oh. Steve and Carla. Uh, but then I think we said Johanneman or something like that. Um, it's actually Yanneman. Um, oh, okay. Uh, we, we didn't lean into lean into whatever ethnicity uh, or accent that, uh, that that name would go from. So apologies for uh, for mangling that. Yeah, we we definitely whenever that kind of thing happens on, you know, we definitely don't do it on purpose, and and you should call us out for that. Yep. So let us know because we don't uh, we don't want to to hurt anybody's feelings, and we don't want to be culturally insensitive. Nope, not the intent. So yes, it is yeah. Yanaman as opposed to the phonetic pronunciation that we used. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on to uh, what does Fletcher say about Ultima Underworld? Yeah, Fletcher says about Ultima Underworld. Disclaimer. I've been a tremendous Ultima dork since childhood, so my gushing may not be 100% objective. Gary, have, in the past, have we ever demanded 100% objectivity in our responses? Huh? I've been demanding it. Oh. I've just been putting a little negative, little frowny face next to everyone's name who doesn't do it. <laughs> so I've got, I've got this huge ream of, like, you know, dot matrix printer paper that I've just putting yeah, tiny I've, been me- I've been meaning to talk to you about running that thing while we record. Yeah, <laughs> right now we actually use a, a series of industrial NASA grade noise filters <laughs> to get it out. So, yep. uh, but anyway, continuing Fletcher's response, I love dungeon crawlers. Always have, probably always will. But Ultima Underworld was one of the first to really take that basic idea and make it a whole biosphere rather than one party's shitty night underground. 
I love that. <laughs> sure, we had Might and Magic prior, which was similar in nature, but that was a game of literally constructed worlds, which were giant puzzles, rather than an ecosystem of tricks, creatures, and people in the single dumbest idea Lord British ever had. Why did he suffer that whole hell world under his castle? I know he was canonically immortal, but the servants sure weren't. What a dick. Um, mm. Anyway, especially writing this the week of what's probably the final Etrian Odyssey game being announced, I miss dungeon crawlers that aren't just another fucking wizardry clone. Fuck every wizardry that isn't for and fuck its bastard spawn back to that weird smelling hole under British's palace. Um, P.S. Excellent dungeon crawlers fucking up the fast travel is a long time problem. I want to say two of the three Eye of the Beholder titles, which had gates on each floor you could open with specific items uh, to take you to explore, had them broken, broken or dummied out. So this system absolutely never functioned. I think referring yeah. to us talking about the about the stairways being broken. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I remember that from Eye of the Beholder actually. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a which is a huge bummer. Yeah, you know, and and I'm I'm mostly with you. Like I like those I like those kind of dungeon crawls as well. But I like this one that has a sense of place significantly more. Yeah, that dovetails really well into the last response, which is that you know that element of the O four five one, which is what makes this the great grandfather of the genre. Yeah, you know, is is it's like oh it's there's dungeon ecology, like it, it's a it's a biosphere. It's not one party shitty night underground, which is <laughs> definitely what, what wizardry is or like might and magic, which is just like, let's explore a series of mazes, mm -hmm. you know, uh, which is, which is just not as cool. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, that's, that's, that's good stuff. I wonder, um, I mean, I can ask cause like Zerg's all around our, our Slack and stuff, but I wonder if, um, Oh, Grimrock worked, worked for him. Cause oh. Gr Grimrock scratched some of that itch for me. It's not, it doesn't have entirely a sense of place, but it has a lot of ease of use stuff. Yeah, Grimrock I like because it is it is turn based and on a grid. It's not turn based. It's Grimrock's not? actually yeah, Grimrock's in, in real time. Like you oh. have to dodge. I uh, wow. I'm I'm weirdly not remembering that. You do it's 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 it was a weird thing. It was a point of when it was coming out, everyone was was really shocked by it. Um and it was like this will never work, but it works surprisingly well when you play. Like mm. when you when you actually play it, it's it's drastically artificial what you're doing which is like essentially dosy doing <laughs> like you, you make these kind of in, in tight circles like you make these little either like step back and step forward to attack or you just kind of go around people mm -hmm. in a circle but it kind of turns like it into a rhythm game almost yeah. why don't i remember like, that because it's been a while since yeah, you played it yeah, and it been... looks exactly like wizardry like if <laughs> yeah. you it, the screenshot you're summoning in your mind would be a turn-based game yeah yeah so, um, but yeah, that, that game is interesting and I would, I would not cross that off the list for eventual whopping because mm -hmm. those games are neat. Yeah. And I never Maybe played someday. the second one. Yeah. Me neither. Actually, weirdly enough, like, and they're all on iOS and play pretty well on iOS too. Oh really? Damn. Yeah. Um, or at least the first one is, I've got the first one on my phone. Um, mm -hmm. and it's surprising how well it plays. Nice. So even though it's not turn-based. So, um, thanks, Zerg. And finally, uh, to close this out, Sam says by contact, uh, I just want to clarify, Inuyasha is the half-demon child of a human woman and a dog demon. Rudo is a human with a fox demon that was sealed inside him as a baby. Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is refers to, we had the discussion, there's an NPC in Ultima Underworld that is named Naruto, and yeah. because neither of us know anything, we confuse Naruto with Inuyasha. We're not sure which one was a dog and which one was uh, just a, I didn't even know Naruto had a fox demon inside him. I just assumed it was a guy. Right. <laughs> so cool um yeah <laughs> sounds cool <laughs> thanks definitely gonna check out those series based on that yeah um that sounds awesome although i finally uh, understand a little bit of the uh a little bit of the etymology of inuyasha because of because i 
back when it ran i wasn't aware of shiba inus yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it stands for inayasha okay <laughs> character is uh so um yeah. yeah, yeah. Inuyasha is one of the most um, disconcerting cosplays to see, <laughs> like that creature, because it's like people do it well, but when it maps onto a human, like I think it just looks really unnerving. Yeah, you yeah. know. And I mean, my my, my go to for that is Goat Mom for Undertale, which like <laughs> every time I see that cosplay, I just like Ugh. I've never you know? I've never seen that, and like I so it, like at this at this con we were just at i spent a lot of time now not a lot of time i spent my walkthroughs looking for um a piece of fan art about naps to look from uh from undertale undertale has just fallen out of the zeitgeist real hard it's because i wished <laughs> I, had, I, I found a genie's lamp like a few years ago and it was one of my wishes i was like everybody forget about this guy this garbage game <laughs> and on. they did like the um yeah it was it was uh i, I wasted a wish and I, now i feel bad about it like there are yeah. a lot of things like i it was really bad, like upper, upper respiratory infection. Like there are a lot of things I wish I would have wished for, but yeah, you know, oh, it's well. uh, you know, too yeah. late. Like once a wish is, is spent, it's just spent. Yeah. Uh, all of that is to say, I've never seen, I've never seen a Toriel, uh, um, cosplay in person. The, um, they've definitely been about at conventions we've been in. Mm, um, yeah. and I, I've I, seen I, them I, as well online. I mean, but... any, anything that is like a, like a human animal hybrid, I always file away under, uh, oh gosh, Holmes.cosplay. cosplay. So. Yeah. And and yeah, that that's the uh you you would not be wrong to do so. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it just there's something about like the, the all white makeup and the softening of the features that makes it look like a like a spooky like the evil mask from Super Mario Brothers two. Oh yeah. To me a little bit. Like it's got a little bit of that just softness to it that like is is fe- you know, featureless slender manness. Ooh, geez. You know, whenever I see a Toriel cosplay. Yeah, I'm looking at um, this. Yeah, I'm looking at some images right now. That's a little much. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the lipstick on this one is actually done to imply the uh, the the front teeth, which is pretty mm. good. Yeah, yeah. It just like the, those always weird me out. Hmm. Um. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um. As we mentioned, if you have anything to say about our games in May, uh, that day that deadline is May fifteenth. Yep. Uh, um, those games are Call of War as Gunslinger, Doom uh, twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. uh, Bayonetta one. And then uh, I guess like we can we can call it put out a call for arcade things like you yeah, know if you have good yeah. arcade stories like it's been a, it's been so long since we've done that and it's such a big part of games like mm-hmm. part of us doing that episode is just to kind of get some representation in yeah. that so if you have good arcade stories yeah we want them good 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 arcade stories um, an especially uh, important game uh, that you played with uh, with your friends um, or your family at arcades stories about your childhood arcade are always fun too yeah yeah. So hit us up uh, May 15th. Um, Ordinarily, we would announce our June uh, games here, but we're still kind of working that out. Yes. So those will go in the next episode. Yes. Uh, That will be a theme month. Um, I'm excited about the progress we've made. We have not made enough progress. I will will claim responsibility for that. Yeah, we just have to make a decision. Um, So we're going to get that that, uh, that lineup shortly, Mm -hmm. and we will let you know. Yeah. Watch Uh, the usual channels, social media, DuckFeed TV on Twitter, etc. Yeah, and and most prominently the next episode. Yes, we record. We'll get that. Uh, so during the uh, Call of Juarez episode, we'll announce those at the end. So oh. sorry about that delay. If that interrupts anyone's plans, I th- but uh, you'll know soon. Yeah, Call of um, Juarez is so good. Yeah, it's good, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a. Uh, I like that game a lot. Um, the uh, it's a uh, and man, I just give me give me those eight hour shooters. <laughs> yeah, you know, put those in my veins. Like that is that is a great great number of hours for a good a good genre for that number of hours. Yeah. Um. Yeah, if uh, if you like this show, one of the things you can do, uh, the the best thing you can do is support us. If you go to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv, 
Um, you can give us any amount of money that, uh, that you're able to. Uh, we really do appreciate it. It helps support the network, keep the lights on. We just got back from Midwest Gaming Classic. Um, we're only able to do those, you know, those are expensive for us not complaining just so you know like we don't make money from those yeah um that, that's, a, that's a big investment so the reason we're able to do that is because of patreon um it also like pays for server costs like pays to keep the network going and then also pays like rent which means that we can we can spend a lot of time doing these games so yeah. um if you want to to support that endeavor that address again is patreon.com slash duck tv uh not trying to guilt anybody who can't mm-hmm. but if you can we really do appreciate it yeah we appreciate everybody who has given in the past or people who are going to take the time to go take a look and you know mm-hmm. see the uh, see, see the spread of rewards and things like that. If you can't uh, if you can't afford to do that, we understand. But mm-hmm. one of the things you can do uh, instead is rate and review the show on iTunes mm-hmm. um, or tell people about a message board. Just generally spread the word. Yeah, and we see it when people do that, and it's always appreciated. Yeah, um, I think that's everything for right now. Yeah, yeah. We want to thank everybody for uh, for listening. We'll see you guys in a week with uh, Call of War. It's a very good game. Yeah. Bye. Bye.